How many people can feel the presence of the Lord this morning? Say Amen. Amen. So we come before you this morning with a kind of a heavy heart, I have to confess. I have to confess, um, we were here practicing uh, for worship, for the revival that we did. We were here re- recording and everything. And the news came that another celebrity left us too soon. As you guys know by now, the actor Chadwick Boseman uh, went to his eternal abode. He went home um, last week. And, and, and that came as a shock, right? There's some people who pass, it comes to you as a shock because you, you don't know them personally, but you look at them on the screen and they look like genuine good guys. And Chadwick Boseman was one of those where you look at him and you like them. You look at his smile, you like them. Um, he was only 43 years old and he died of colon cancer. Um, during his career, he did at least 15 movies several of which he did in between surgery. So he was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016, stage three, and so he was fighting it. So while he was producing movies that we could see and enjoy, he was fighting for his life. While he was going in and out of surgery, he would come, but you would never know. And and I guess that's why it, it takes us as a shock is because it was so sudden. You would look at him and he looked healthy. You saw him in probably his biggest movie, Black Panther, and he looked like really healthy, right? And that gave him a status of kind of a symbolic king um, where he would go and people would treat him as a king because on the screen they portrayed a man that would seem to us to be a good king. Um, And out of the blue, he's gone. Out of the blue, he's gone. Out of colon cancer. And they say that the majority of sicknesses that we have are preventable diseases. A a, a lot of the diseases, situations that we go through are preventable. So what I want to talk to you this morning is take care of the body. Take care of the body. And, and we're, we're in a situation where we're in a health crisis, right? That lasts, that's lasting longer than we thought. Um, back in February, everybody was chilling. And then in March, everything was in lockdown because of the coronavirus. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 32. And it reads like this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ loved the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also also must love his wife and his as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. God's word is already blessed. Um, now, this is not a marriage conference, but I want to bring your attention, first of all, this morning to verse 29, the first part of verse 29, and it says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. And so I want to tell you this morning to take care of your body, right? A lot of times we're in the church and we focus on the soul. We focus on sin. We focus on these things, but we don't focus on the body. But what we don't understand, and and I say the body rather than your body, because you have to understand that you are a steward of God's resources on this earth. And the body that you have has been given to you by God for you to be the steward of that body. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I'm brought up in the in the Baptist church, but I do have a little, I would say, Pentecostal in me in the sense that I believe God can do miracles. I don't believe that the miracles were only for the pages of Scripture. I think that God gives us Scripture to show us that he's a powerful God and he can do miracles even today. And case in point, if God doesn't do miracles, why do we pray? 
We pray God because we, we, we expect God to intervene in the affairs of men. We, we expect God to, to intervene in, 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 in our lives. And so I believe fully that God can do miracles today. I believe that if you have a sickness in your body, God can remove that sickness in a way that is supernatural. I believe that if you find yourself in a jam, the power of God can come to your rescue and intervene in a way that you did not foresee, in a way that is not naturally possible. But I also believe that God gave us laws and those laws come from God, and he wants us to abide by those laws. And first thing that God gave us is a body. And the body that God gave us allows us to relate to this world. And John says, in 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. Now, as a church, we want the soul to be healthy, but what about the body? John tells us, you know what? I don't want only your soul to be healthy. I also want your body to be healthy. And the word good health is the same word where we get hygiene. And it has, it has a connotation of being in proper working order to be in sound condition, to be in balance. God wants your body as much as possible to be in balance. Now, let me say something very clearly. You can have sickness in your body, and I don't necessarily think that it's a sin, right? You can have, you can be born with, 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 with some disease, and it's nothing, it has nothing to do with you. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just how life is. But that being said, some of the situation that we go through, they could have been prevented. You see, um, we all say, you know what? You're coming to this world. God knows when he's going to take you out. And that is true. But understand this. The sovereignty of God doesn't negate the responsibility of men. God's ultimate power doesn't take away our responsibility. And, and, we, and we have tools that God has given us readily available to make our lives better. So let's say, for instance, you're born in 1989, right? And God has said for you to die in 2099, whatever, right? Wouldn't you rather live those years healthy rather than struggling? I want to tell you this morning that you can take the actions necessary so that your life could be healthy. And it is important for the purpose of God. Jump with me in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And in that situation, where's the situation where Daniel and his, and, his, and his brothers, brothers in faith, are taken from their homeland in Jerusalem and they're forcibly brought into a foreign land of Babylon, right? They didn't have a choice. They were taken and they were brought into a foreign land of Babylon. Babylon was not their land. And so the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, would take the smartest, the, 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 those that come from nobility, and he would put them in like a training program. And in that training program, they would have to eat certain food. And here's what Daniel says. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 to 16, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord my king, who was assigned, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your, your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat at the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who are who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, it's funny because when you were young and you read this passage, you thought that maybe God 
put a special anointing on Daniel, and he probably has, to allow him to be able to survive on vegetables. But I want to ask you, do you guys think that Daniel looked better because of God's intervention? Or did he look better because he used God's inventions? You see, the, the Genesis says, I give you the seeds and I give you the trees and I give you this, all of that for your nourishment. And, and uh, sadly in America, we're not focusing on nourishing our bodies. We're rather focusing on filling a hole. Right, you're hungry and you put stuff in your body without thinking about the consequence that, that of what might happen. And so most of our diet now is what we call processed foods. Right, we eat most processed foods. And, and, and I'm going to confess, I mean, I'm guilty too, that processed food is tasty. You know how many people like like a good bacon? Amen. You like, like, like bacon, you like barbecue. You know, like the grill, that 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 good. I um, mean, I can I can wait to the time where we can have a barbecue again. I don't even care who's going to play. Let's have NBA Finals at my house where we could grill and have that 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 nice burger and that hot dog and that, and you know that that smell of the grill. It smells so good. Ah, uh, but guess what? It is all processed food. And they say that if they did studies, and if you increase processed food by ten percent. You also increase diseases by 10%. So all those diseases that you see that, 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 that take us later in life, a lot of them could be prevented if you just reduce processed food. And you might be like, okay, you know what? What does that have to do with us? Like, they, 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 Dave, this is, this is church. This is not, this is not a health. You know, this is YouTube. If I want a health thing, I'm going to do health and I'm going to have a lot of things. What you have to understand is God put you here for a purpose. God put you here for a purpose and the body that he gave you is what is allowing you to relate to this world so you can have a purpose. But a lot of times we put our purpose on, on, we jeopardize our purpose for our pleasures. We jeopardize our long-term health with, with our, with, with the short-term pleasures that we have. Let me tell you, it is very hard to preach if you're not healthy. You know, I have a watch. It's a smart watch. And any, anytime I do any type of exercise, it could pick it up. It picks up the exercise and it'll say, oh, cycling detected when you're doing bicycle. Or it'll say, oh, walk detected. Or running, it'll detect it. You know what? Every time I'm done preaching, the, the watch sends me a signal saying, great workout. Y'all chilling, sitting down, but it's a lot of energy coming on the pulpit and preaching. You guys think that you can lead worship? You cannot lead worship from a hospital bed. You cannot do that ministry of worship that you have from a hospital bed. I don't know. Maybe Wayne could do it. We bring the laptop to Wayne. He'd be able to do it. But I'm not sure that I would be able to do it. I'm not sure that you would be able to do it. But if you are healthy, then you can carry out your purpose that God has for your life. You notice how it doesn't matter what you do. When you get hurt, everything stops. Everything stops. And that's why Chadwick, you know, I give my hat to him. He was going in and out of surgery and he was able to still do those movies that he was doing. I mean, that's, that's like, that's, that's huge. Not everybody would be able to do that. But guess what? There are situations that you, you get yourself into. If you're hurt, you cannot function. And so Daniel understood that, you know what, I have to take care of my body and I'm not going to use that food, that processed food or whatever food that the king had. I'm going to use the food that my God provided. And by doing so, Daniel was healthier. He was his brain. Because you see, when you eat vegetables, and it's funny because they come up with all those studies, right? They come out with all those studies, but it all comes back to what your mom and your grandma used to tell you. Eat your vegetables. And then they find out, okay, you know what? If you eat your vegetable, it affects every system in your body in a way that is positive. It affects your brain system, your capacity to think, your capacity to focus. It, it affects your, 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 your bones, your bone system. You don't realize, but some of the soda that you drink is actually taking away all the science, blah, 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 but it's actually taking away from your bones. So you're drinking soda when you're young, but you can't walk when you're old. And to all the young people, see, see, I, 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 when I was young, man, that was so nice. You, you, you know, when you were young, you could eat whatever you want, and then you come out and you're still skinny. Well, depending on, on your genes, right? You, you could, you could, you could get hurt. I remember one time I got hurt 
boom, a week is done, it's healed. Later on in life, I get the same injury. A week later, oh crap, it still hurts. It's not healed anymore. You know? and, and I want to tell you, if you're young, you're living your life now, not for now, but for 10 years in the future. You do the good things now so that you'll be better off in the future. Nobody puts the shutters when the storm is already here. Nobody puts, you know, you don't try to fix the house when the storm is upon you. It's already too late. And you don't try. Now, I'm not saying if you're at a certain age, you stop. You can still change course, but it's easier to change course earlier in life thinking about what's going to happen in the future so that you can carry out your purpose before before God. You know, they look at the the virus and, and, and we're like, okay, why is America so um, struggling so much, right? And, and there's various reasons, but there's one reason I never hear. Could it be that it's America is struggling so much because Americans were already less healthy than the rest of the world? America leads the world in obesity. America leads the world in a whole lot of different bad categories when it comes to health. And we rely on our scientists to bring up, you know, medicine and we pop up medicine. But I want to bring to your attention that whatever medicine you have, you don't have a lack of Tylenol in your life. There's a lack of something else. There's something. And if you can live in a certain way from the get go, you can prevent having to need the scientists in the future. Now, don't get me wrong. Any health decision that you make, Consult your doctor. Don't say, Dave told me to stop taking my medicine. And then something happens and you blame me. Don't blame me. Touch your neighbor and say, don't blame him. But it's important that we take care of our health. It's funny because you look at the Bible thousands of years ago and Daniel told you, you know what? I'm going to stick to vegetables and water. And now you have what? The Daniel fast, the, the, the 10 day cleanse. And, the ten, and all of those go back to what? What the scripture already had said. What the scripture already has said. So what I want to tell you this morning is, is take care of your body by little tweaks. You don't have to make big changes. All you have to do is little tweaks. When you go to the, the food court, you have the fast food. And now you, we have in Florida so many healthy options. And they're tasty too. So instead of getting that brand, take the healthy brand. Instead of getting the, the chips, get the apple. Instead of getting the, the, the chocolate, the cookie, get the, get the, get the orange. Get the, the nicer version and just a little tweak instead of drinking soda drink water that little tweak will have a long way for your health and, and I know that firsthand because you see when I started college I started getting those eye infections and those eye infections they would get so bad that my eyes would get red like red like like a Ferrari, red like blood, the two eyes, like they were so, it, it was scary. Like I would have to go to church and put sunglasses because it was a scary sight. I even went to the doctor one time and, and you have the uh, ophthalmologist and then look what looked like an intern and they're looking in my eye and they're like, oh wow, did you see that? See that what? I never seen that before. And then like something they never seen before. I'm like, dude. If you guys discover a new disease, can you give it my name so I'll be famous? Like, like they're looking and they've never seen that before. And it got to the point where they did a blood test. And in the blood test, they found something wrong in my blood. So they said, now we need to take a biopsy. Right? So we need to take a biopsy of your, of your kidney. Now, I would ask my doctor, well, is it something that I eat? Or say, no, 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 you, all you have to do is take the medicine, take the medicine. And, and then, so, okay, so now I'm scheduled for a biopsy um, where they're going to open you up and take a, the biopsy is they open you up and they take a piece of, of tissue in your body so they can analyze it. And now my mom, a Christian mom, she, now she's starting to be worried because they're going to open up her kid. And, you know, when you go to the hospital, you know when you go in, but you never know if you're coming out, Right? Because when they put you under, some people, sadly, they never come back from the under. But in the between, when they scheduled the biopsy to the date where the biopsy was supposed to happen, I went on the trip on a vacation to Mexico. And I was in Mexico in a little village. And in the little village, you know, you eat what they give you. There's no McDonald's. There's no fast food. There's no nothing. You eat whatever they give you. 
And when I came back, they did a blood test again, and it was like, whoa, your numbers are better. Everything is, is going looking to the right direction. And since your, your, um, your numbers are better, like, we don't feel confident opening you up now because everything is trending in the right direction. And my mom said, ah, baby, soit l'éternel, c'est bon Dieu qui fait ça. All right. But then I started to think to myself, what changed? What changed between the time when I had every, and the numbers were bad to when the numbers became good? I went to Mexico. And, and while in Mexico, one thing they don't have in Mexico is peanut butter. I mean, they do, but it, it's, it's rare. And, and I had, growing up, we had what we call, what I call the breakfast of champions. The breakfast of champions was, oh man, I'm ashamed to admit it, but that's what it was. It was hot chocolate with pain mamba, right? Hot chocolate and uh, peanut butter sandwich, four slices of them, morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, morning, night. Now, you know, chocolate, I'm not talking about the dark chocolate. I'm talking about the sugar repowder that you put, right? So it's sugar and dairy and, 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 and processed bad stuff and day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. So then I said, all right, you know what? Let me chill. Let me, let me not use that anymore. And since I made that one change in my life, guess what? All my indicators get, come better and better and better and better. And like now, I don't even know the last time I went to the ophthalmologist. But the doctor said, oh, no, no, it's not your food. It's not your food. Just take the drops. A lot of your health is predicated. That's why they call it nutrition. It's nourishment for your body. And just little tweaks that are not hard to make can make a big difference in your life. And don't wait till, you know, and inside it breaks my heart because you see uh, when you get to a certain age and, and people can't walk anymore, right? It, it, it's harder, it's harder. But that can, that can be prevented. And we have more knowledge now than they did back in the 70s. So they have an excuse they didn't know. Back in the days, they used to advertise cigarettes as being healthy. So people would take cigarettes, they would think that they're doing something good for their body. But now we're at a situation where we have more knowledge, we have more understanding. And, and so we can make the right actions so that we can be present. So think about it, this disease, the, the virus came and it took away 185,000 lives. And that's just one disease. You know, there's other people dying, the cancer, uh, Chadwick being an example of that. Those are families that lost their loved ones. Those are children that lost their parents. Those are parents that lost their children. That they will never see you again. And what I want to tell you first is take care of the body. But then number two is take care of your family. Is take care of your family. It says verse 28 of our passage in Ephesians 5. It says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see the... um. Society that we see is going through, is going, is going down the tube. It's going down the, um, it's being flushed down the toilet. You see CDs being burned. You see a lot of unrest. You see a lot of situation. And, but I want to tell you this morning that if society is going, and I'm going to use the word, forgive me if it's not right, is going to hell, it's because the home went to hell first. If the, the, the fact, the society is coming down is because the home went down first. If, if society is being, is exploding is because the home exploded first. You see, so home is the first institution that God established on this earth. The first institution wasn't government. The first institution wasn't the church. The first institution was the family. It was a family, the first institution. And if God gives you health, what we understand now is that tomorrow is not given to us. We understand that tomorrow, like some, we, we look at the numbers and we ask, when do you think this crisis is going to end? And the real answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What happens if there's a second wave? What happens now they're rushing for a vaccine, but we don't even know if the vaccine is going to be as effective. How's that flu shot working out? How's that flu shot working out, right? So, so we don't know how that's going to go. And so your family that you have now, you don't even know, sadly, if you're going to have them tomorrow. You don't even know if they're going to be around tomorrow. So now we spend a lot of time fighting and we spend a lot of time arguing or, or we spend a lot of time being distracted doing other things. But while there are families that wish that they had one more week, there are families that wish that they had one more day with their loved ones. But they don't. 
And you see with scripture, what I love with scripture is scripture is eternal. What God said 2,000 years ago is what is valid today. And it says 2,000 years ago, it says, in the same way husbands are to love their wives as they, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And, and, and love is the foundation of our society, should be the foundation of our society, should be the foundation of the family. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, what, what, what he means by love. What, what is that definition of love? It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you see, so it is telling husband to love their wives like, like they love themselves. But, but what is that? That's a normal, basic Christian duty. He says, you know what's the first commandment? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're called to love people from the outside, neighbors, and then he went to explain that the neighbor is not only somebody from the outside, it's somebody that you don't like from the outside. It's that race that you don't like. It's that race that did you wrong. It's that group of people that did you wrong. And that's the people that you have to love like yourself. And then he says to the church, he says to the husband, love your wives like you love yourself. That's just the basic Christian commandment. And he says, love her like Christ loved the church. But that's the foundation of the family, where it's a family where love is, where we're patient with one another, where we're kind towards one another, where we do not envy. Now we're in a situation where husband work, wife work. You know what? If they get promoted, celebrate. If they get something good in their life, celebrate. Do not envy. It, it, you don't have to boast. You don't have to be proud. It does not dishonor others. It's always mind-boggling to me that we can treat people from the outside with more respect than we treat people from the inside. We treat people that don't even care about us in, in a certain way, but then we treat our own people wrong. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's Pastor Ford that says, um, a man came to him one day and says, you know what, Pastor, I don't know what to do with my wife because she gets historical. And he said, what, you think, what, what you said, hysterical? No, historical. Every time we have a fight, she brings back everything from the way back when. But how many times we do that, right? We bring back whatever is from 1999 and we bring it back. It was done, long gone, but then we bring it back. But how many people can bless the Lord that we have a God that doesn't keep records of wrong? We have a God that doesn't bring back the stuff. You know what? Oh, yeah, I saved you in 1989, but in 1990, 1992, you did this. And it, no, God doesn't do that. And therefore, we can do that. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And, and, it's, and it's sad that we get sometimes to a point where something bad would happen, and then you're happy that that bad thing happened. But that's not love. But love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And, 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 and the, the family, your family, what you have, and, and I know sometimes things can get rough, but the family that you have, this is the bedrock that God has given you. And God has, like I said, gave you to be a steward of, of your resources and your family as a man. My family is my first responsibility. I have a responsibility to my body, but I have a responsibility to my family. And in verse 33 of Ephesians 5, he says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And you see, you have love and respect. If you look at society, if you look at what's going on in the street, you have a lack of love or you have a lack of respect. When you put your knee on somebody's neck for nine minutes, that's a lack of love. That's a lack of humanity. That's a lack of humanity. But then when you go and you break other people's stores, that's a lot of respect. When you scream in people's faces, that's a lot of respect. And, and, and we have a situation where we don't have love, where we don't have respect. But now, scientists, psychologists, all of those nice, fancy people, they realize for a relationship to work, you need love and you need respect. You need both. You don't need only one. You don't need. You need love, and you need, you have respect. You have some relationship. They have love, but there's no respect. You have respect, but there's no love. You need both. Two thousand years ago, Paul said it. 
in Ephesians 5.33. And it says, Ephesians 6, chapter, following chapter says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So the primary responsibility for the family is on the parents. But there's a responsibility on the children as well. So let me talk to I see my children here. Hi, DJ. Hi, Abby. How are you doing? I'm going to preach to you because you guys are the only children here. But you must obey your parents, especially me. Amen. You must obey your parents. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. He says, this is a commandment with a promise. And the promise is the promise of a long life. Now, is it because if you obey God, God will automatically, I mean, if you obey your parents, God will automatically give you a long life? Or is it rather because parents generally will give you the advice and the commands that are conducive for a long life? Your parents, your mama is always going to tell you, eat your vegetables. That's your health. It's going to tell you what? Respect authority. Right? It's going to tell you, work hard. And those are values that are conducive for a long life. If you listen to your parents, it's for your own good. And, and I remember when, when I was young, I wasn't, like, I remember after church, I was probably the most bratty kid ever. Like now I realize it now, right? Where I would come home and I would tell mommy, mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, I'm hungry. And then my mom would say in Creole, Eh ben, petit moi, mangez-moi. Eat me. No. And then I would, and then after a while she would say, okay, well, Dave, why don't you help me? Okay, no, I'm good. I can wait. Right? And, and, and over time, now obviously as a grown man, now I help him. So I'm making up for, for, for that time. But I, I want to tell you this morning, if you're a kid, Right, or if you're young and you live at your parents, or you're a young adult, you live at your parents' house. Understand this: that this situation is bringing extra pressure on everybody. It's bringing extra pressure on you, but it's also bringing extra pressure on your parents. And my question for you is: Why don't you help? Why don't you help? Why don't you do something to help? You know, a lot of times we're so focused on our needs that we come and 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 we bring stuff home that is not good, right? We would go in the street and, and we play with the wrong guys, so now we come home and we bring the police. Don't bring home the police. And we go and we do bad stuff, or we get in love with a bad girl or a bad guy, and we bring home a vagabond. Don't bring home a vagabond. Don't bring home a vagabond. You know what standard you're being raised in. Follow that standard. But we're so focused on ourselves that we don't care what drama we bring home. Parents already have enough drama in their lives. They don't need you to bring more drama. If you want drama, watch Netflix. Watch Hulu if you want drama. But don't bring drama home. Rather, you know what? Your parents, they're going to pay whatever bills that there is to pay. But what they need you to do is to pay attention in school. They're going to carry the burdens that that you can't carry. All they ask for you is to carry yourself with dignity out there. Don't go out there and bring shame on the family name. But go out there and live up to the heritage that you receive from your parents if you come from a household of faith. Don't bring home drama. Don't bring home trouble. But bring home good deeds. Bring home something positive. It is hard on everybody. Don't be an extra burden on your parents. Don't be an extra burden on your spouse. Don't be an extra burden on, on your family. But rather, see how you can help and how you can add to the family. And, and, and that, coming back to the fathers and the, and the mothers, really, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your, your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and that's the tough one, because sometimes the pressure comes, right? You at, at work, and your boss gets on your nerve, but you can't flip on your boss. You know that, because you know what's going to happen if you flip on your boss. You can't flip on your boss, so you come home, and you're already tense, and then your kid does something this much, but then you blow up that much. And now the kid becomes scarred for life. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke. Rather, pray for them. Don't provoke. You know, what you want to provide, provide values, instruction. When, when you provoke, it says raising the discipline. The discipline, okay, you're taking, you're correcting them, but the goal of the correction is to take out what's bad and the instruction is put in what's good. So the goal of Christian correction is, is redemption, not rejection. But how many times after, after the correction, they don't feel redeemed, they feel rejected. The, the goal of Christian correction is 
To convert, not to condemn, is to build up, not to tear down. But sometimes because the pressure is so hard, we tend to go too harsh and then we bring the scar. It's the, the motivational speaker, Les Brown. And he says when he was growing up, his mother would correct him. But you know what she would never do? She would never use negative words on him. She would, you know, if he does something bad, she would take him, she would spank him, and she would say, you're going to be somebody, boy, boom, you're going to be somebody, boy, boom, you're going to be somebody, boy. And he said, she abused me physically, but she would never abuse me mentally. She would never abuse me psychologically. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we use words, but then we're, 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 we don't understand that words have power. Words have power. So when you speak, especially as a parent and as a father, you speak on your children, you need to be very careful. You don't want to speak the wrong destiny. You don't want to say, oh, you'll never be anything in your life. What? Is that what you want for your child? If that's not what you want for your child, don't say it with your mouth. Don't say it with your mouth. Oh, you're so... If you don't want the outcome of those words... To be what happens to your child that you love. Don't use those words. Use different words. Like let's run mom. She didn't say you're going to be a nobody. She said you'll be somebody. Even if I have to beat, beat it into you. You're going to be somebody boy. Use the words that you want the outcome for your children. And I wonder how many kids went astray because they got the wrong you see, the power of your word. The Bible says life and death are in the power of your word. Be very careful what you say. Be very careful how you use your tongue. There is power in the tongue. There is power in the word. James says you cannot use the same mouth that you use to bless God and then you use to curse. To curse. And then curse is meaning saying bad things about someone is a curse. How many times we curse our children? And over time, nobody's perfect, and, and, and you can have scars, you can have situation. And what I want to tell you this morning is to be forgiving. It says in Colossians 3.13, it says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. I was listening on the radio, and they were saying once again, when... The COVID-19 virus hit, divorces went through the roof because now people are stuck in the house. And if there was already a situation that was already pending and, and now it blows up, but it's constant blow up. There's nowhere to go before you could go and spend eight hours to chill at work. But now there's nowhere to go. So now it, it blows up. But a lot of times we make big blow ups out of small things. Right? We, we jeopardize long-term relationships for short-term issues. For short-term issues. What do you mean you didn't pay the bill? Okay, it's okay. You pay the bill. It's okay. They're not going to ding your credit. And if they ding your credit, you can get your credit back up. But you can't get the relationship back. Unless you forgive. It says... Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have complaint against anyone, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also forgive others. And I know this morning there are some parents that need to forgive adult children. There are some children that need to forgive their parents. There are some siblings that need to forgive each other. I know of siblings, they got mad, they didn't speak for a year. You have a brother and a sister and you're mad at them, you don't speak for a year. And if you find it hard to forgive someone, just think about what you did to Christ. Just think about the ways, the many ways in which that you offended Christ. But yet he said, you know what? I forgave you. I forgave you. So if God can forgive you your sins, you can forgive the other person. If God has forgiven you all the bad things that you've done, you know, and the stuff that other people don't know, but Christ knows. Christ knows what happens in the middle of the night. Christ knows what you think in your heart. Christ knows what you do when you leave the house. Christ knows everything. And he still forgave you because you asked for forgiveness. So you can't forgive another person because they said something. You can't forgive another person. You can't forgive your children because they did this or they did that. You forget that you needed forgiveness from your parents too. You know, sometimes parents grow up and they make you think that they were saints. They were not saints. They needed forgiveness too. I needed forgiveness too. I won't tell you what for though. <laughs> but I needed forgiveness. And you cannot succeed in a relationship if you do not show forgiveness. 
God has not called you to always be right. But God has called you to be forgiving. So take care of your body. Take care of your family. But then take care of the body of Christ. We're in a situation right now. And I'm going to tell you. It is tough. It's tough to be at church. But there's you go out and, and you don't see your grandma. You don't see and, 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 and brother Etel. You can't hug your, your homie. You can hug. Um, there's a brother who came and he came for a visit today. And I'm like, man, I want to hug the guy because I haven't seen him in a long time. But you can't because of this, this virus. And we're in a situation where we don't see each other. But the fact that we don't see each other doesn't mean that we cannot take care of one another. And I want to tell you, especially if, you know, sometimes you're there and somebody, you haven't spoken to the person in a while and that person comes on your heart and, and you don't know why they're coming in your heart. And I want to tell you this morning that you, you ever thought that maybe they're coming in your heart because the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. Maybe they're coming in your heart because the Holy Spirit wants you maybe to give them a call to see how they're doing. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants you to pray for them because they're going through a situation that they might not share with you, but he knows that the situation is happening. And so he wants you to come and be in agreement with him so that the power of the Holy Spirit can go into that situation and have an impact. You know how many mothers are sleeping at night and, and they see their children and they start praying and then you find out that the child was, was spending for their life. They were about to die, but then the mom prayed, and, and then God came and saved that child's life. So you don't know if God puts somebody in your heart, somebody that you haven't heard of, maybe call them, maybe pray for them, but take care of them. Take care of the church. Uh, we, we live right now, we're in a political season, right? And, and I'm going to confess, I love politics. For me, it's like a sport. But now you have to watch out, because a lot of times when you get into political season, guess what? We don't all think alike. We don't all think alike. We all don't think alike. And I want to tell you this morning that Christ is greater than your politics. Christ is more powerful than your politics. If we go back to the... See, in the book of Daniel, uh, at the end of the chapter where we read, it says that Daniel was in Babylon until the first year of Cyrus. That is 70 years. So he was in that kingdom for 70 years. And now we don't have all of them, but historians say that Daniel say served under seven kings. On the seven kings that he, he served. He served one king and then he left. He served another king and then he left. And, and, and guess what? We're going to serve on the different administration. And, oh, and, and if we go back with me in Daniel chapter 2, it says, Daniel chapter 2 verse 45, 44 and 45. And, and so Daniel started his work in the palace and, and the king had a dream. And, um, and I guess the, the king was maybe Haitian, because Haitians, you know, Haitians, they have dreams. So the king had a dream. And the dream showed the king a statue. And the statue was gold, silver, bronze, and then iron and clay. And then he, he didn't know what the, 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 the dream meant, but he, I was troubling him. And he asked his, his magician for help, and they couldn't help him. And then Daniel said, and he was going to kill all the magician. And Daniel said, hey, hey, I have a God, and my God can help. You know, we're in a country, and I don't care who's in power, but there's some situation that they cannot solve. And as a church, is going to have to solve them. And, and, and Daniel says, okay, you know what? I have a God. Let me pray. And God showed Daniel the dream and the interpretation. And it shows what? It shows that the statue was different kingdoms. The, the goal was the current kingdom of Babylon. And then the second one would be uh, Persia and then the Greece and then the Rome. And guess what? After that, there was a rock. And the rock came out of the mountain and destroyed the statue. And here's where the interpretation that Daniel gives the king at the end. It says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the, the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not any, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and to pieces. And you know what, what, what that kingdom is? That kingdom is the church. That rock that came out, that rock is Jesus Christ. And a lot of times if you don't watch out, you want to break the church over kingdoms that are going to break. I, I mean, like I said earlier before, I love this country, right? But this country, like other kingdoms, when Christianity started, you had one teacher and 12 guys. And then you have the Roman Empire. 
Guess what? That teacher, Jesus Christ, is still here. His church is still here. But guess what? Rome is gone. The Ottoman Empire, that came, that gone. The Moors, they're gone. Whatever. The British Empire, there was an empire. The biggest empire ever was the British Empire. It went from the Americas all the way to India. And they had a saying saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire, meaning it's always they somewhere under the British control. And guess what? That came and that is gone. But the church is still here. Jesus Christ is still here. The power of the Holy Spirit is still here. The church is, is the kingdom that will endure forever. So I don't care how you vote. I don't care if you vote liberal or if you vote Republican. The church is what will endure. We had Carter. Carter came, Carter left. We had Reagan. Reagan came, left. Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. They come and they go, but the church remains. Do not break the church the eternal church over something that is temporary. So what if your brother doesn't think exactly like you do? He, Jesus died for him too. You know what? When they put Jesus on the cross, they nailed the right hand. That was for the conservative. They nailed the left hand. That was for the liberal. And then they nailed the feet in the middle for the independent. Jesus died for the people on the right and he died for the people on the left. He died for the people who are going to vote. He died for the people that are not going to vote. He died for whoever will profess his name because there is no other name that was given by which we shall be saved. Biden cannot save you. Trump cannot save you. Jesus Christ can save you. So I don't care what your slogan is. I don't care how you vote. You put your trust in Jesus Christ because it doesn't matter the administration that comes. If God says it's over, it's a wrap, there's nothing they can do. If God says, you know what, America, I see your sins, I see everything that you've done, I'm done. Trump won't be able to fix it. Biden won't be able to fix it. Congress can't fix it. The Supreme Court can't fix it. They can put seven liberal uh, justices or seven conservative justices. It's not going to do anything. If God says I'm done, it's done. But I believe in a God that says, seek my face. I believe in a God that says, come unto me. And, and some people think that, you know what? whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I, I, I don't believe that. I believe that if the people of God, which are called upon his name, get on their knees and seek his face, he can have a difference. You know, Nineveh was set to destruction. Jonah preached. They repented. God pushed it for a hundred years. Hezekiah was going to die. Hezekiah was set to die. And the prophet came to him and said, you know what? You're going to die. It's over. Talk to your family. It's a wrap. And Ezekiah humbled himself and prayed, and God gave him another 15 years. Ahab, a bad king, an evil king, was going to die. The prophet came to him and said, Ahab, it's a wrap. God is going to send you home. It's over. It's over. It's done. But Ahab, the evil king, said, you know what? I don't want to die. And he humbled and he seeked the face of God, and God granted him life, even to the evil one, Ahab. So I believe if we come to God in prayer, if we come to God and seek his face, He's going to answer from heaven. And you see, he says in Colossians 1, 15 to 18, it says, The Son, meaning Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and in and he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy that rock that comes out of the mountain it breaks kingdom the church so the united states are here eventually they will be gone i pray that it's in a thousand years but when they're gone the church will remain if China comes and China, whatever, the church will remain. The most powerful superpower on earth is not the United States, it's the church. And the church, we don't have nuclear bomb, we have spiritual bombs. We don't bring death, we bring life. The war that we're waging is a war where we bring people to life. We bring people to life. So don't blemish the church with your politics. Don't blemish the church with dividing brother against sister. Oh, because they think this guy or that guy. Uh-uh-uh. Because Jesus is the supremacy. People talk about white supremacy. That's nothing. Try Christ's supremacy. Christ's supremacy, the ruler of everything. And we bow before him and we serve him. And you know, in Jeremiah, it says, I'm going to take you from this land. I'm going to put you in another land. And I don't want you to fight them. I want you to build. I want you to build. I don't, I don't want you to decrease. I want you to increase. 
And, and, and at that time, the, the Babylonians came and they broke into the temple of God and they took the Eustace, the holy things of God Almighty, and they brought it into their temple. So, so, so that's not the outcome that you want. That's not what, what, what you want to see, but that was God's plan, right? So, so come November, you're going to get an outcome either way. It might not be the outcome that you want. It might not be the candidate that you want, but I want to tell you, you're going to vote, but God is going to choose. You're going to vote, God is going to choose, but we're going to pray. We're going to pray. If Biden wins, we're going to pray for him. If Trump wins, we're going to pray for him. Because God has put us in this country not to destroy it, but to build it. And to build it, so and to increase. And to increase. And it says, and worship team, you guys can come. Because we're going to wrap it up. It says, in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, 13, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who comes in the White House. It matters who's on the throne, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who's going to be in Congress, who's not going to have access to the most powerful authority in the universe which is the throne of grace, which is the presence of Christ. So I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I want to tell you to come and seek him. Maybe you have sickness in your body. Seek him for healing, for deliverance. Maybe you have sickness in your soul. Maybe your family is going through something hard. But I want to tell you this morning to come seek him rather than to go home and, 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 and argue and ar argue with God. Seek the face of God. Talk to God. You know, you try to talk to him, but he's a knucklehead. Go talk to God. You try to talk to her, but she don't understand. Go talk to God. You might try to talk to your children, but they're not behaving. They're not listening. Talk to God. Come to him and seek him, and he will answer. He says, you will seek me and find me. You will seek me if you, when you seek me with all your heart. So this morning, I want you to come and seek God with all your heart. Seek God for all you, to all, for all, with all your heart for your country, for your family, for this community, for Haiti, for Canada, for, for, for wherever your heart is. Seek God because God is the only place where you're going to find the answers. So I want you to stop what you're doing this morning and take some time, some time to seek the face of God. Let's come together in His presence.